Welcome to Ebenezer's Podcast, a podcast about hearing, understanding, and applying the Word of God to our lives. My name is Leighton Erickson, and I'm Ebenezer's Lead Pastor. Thanks for joining us today. Please check out our website at ebenezerbaptist.ca to connect with us and learn more about our ministries. I hope you enjoy the message.
Good morning. Welcome to our online Ebenezer service. I've been off the last couple of weeks and have really enjoyed the time to just relax, rest, and enjoy nature. So I have the privilege this morning of being able to just share with you a few announcements and then to also lead us in prayer. First of all, announcement-wise, uh, we want to let you know of some opportunities that we have coming up. We need people to join us in ministering to our kids in Rush, in the nursery, and also in Kid Zone. So if you feel God prompting you to be a part of the mission of God by ministering to our kids, please reach out to Pastor Lynette at lynette at ebenezerbaptist.ca. Secondly, uh, if there's any of you that are able to help us out with moving some furniture, we have a number of old worn out couches, chairs that are in our youth rooms. And uh, we'll give you gloves and you can come on in. They're well used and we wanna ship those out. Uh, also, if you might have some really good used furniture or would like to make a donation to some replacement furniture for the youth, please let either Pastor Cal or myself know and we would like to get you connected and help us to do that. Thirdly, um, we want to let you know that there will be a Grief Share seminar coming up in the next few weeks and if that is something that you would like to participate in, or feel the need to be a part of, uh, please reach out to Pastor Grace. Uh, fourth, um, along the same lines, we have had some people express interest in becoming members of our church or to be baptized. And we will be having some classes coming up in the next few weeks for that as well. And so if you are interested in that or feel God prompting you towards that, would just like to even know some more information about it, please reach out to Pastor Kyle, and he is going to be setting up the classes for that. And uh, the next thing that we want you to do is to mark off a save the date on September 12th. This is going to be our kickoff for this fall, and we're excited to be able to be all together again. Uh, we are going to have one service with our church partner congregations included, and we're gonna spread out as much as we uh, need to in the building, in the new rooms that we have, and to worship together, to uh, be able to just share our thankfulness for what God has been doing among us. We're going to have a prepackaged lunch uh, that we're going to serve at that time and spread out into some of the other rooms as well and just to be able to be together. So it, we want you to be there. Uh, if you know anyone else in our church family that you're just kind of missing or you haven't seen in a bit, that you could get on the phone and call them as well and invite them to come out for that. And lastly, uh, we are very thankful for our, all of our uh, VBS volunteers that pulled off an incredible summer program. And so I want you to just take in the video of the highlights of that time. Have I not commanded you be strong and courageous? Have I not commanded you be strong? 
courageous. How fun. All right. Two, two are better than one, because they have a good return for their labor. Two, two are better than one, because they have a good return for their labor. 
they have a good return for their labor. E-C-L-E-S-T-E-S for nine. Are you having a good time?
Hear the joyful sound of our offering as your saints bow down, as your people sing. We will rise with you, lifted on your wings, and the world will see them. Yes, the what my father does if failure won't define me that's what my father does Strongholds now breaking. Love is breaking through. 
my privilege this morning to be able to lead us in prayer and so would you join with me God we are grateful for your faithfulness your forgiveness and your grace to us thank you that you never give up on us that your character never changes that's what it says in Malachi that you remain constant and we rest in that. We are thankful for that. God, we are thankful for summer breaks, for the mental break, the emotional break, the relational reconnection, and just for rest. Time to quiet our minds and to hopefully also take time to listen to you. God, would you speak to us and would you encourage us this summer? Give us the rest that we need. God, in, in Malachi 2, um, it says that you came to bring life, restoration, and peace. And so many of us need that. Life, restoration, and peace. And, and you said that's what you came to bring. That's what you're all about. That is your, your character. But you do ask us to walk in relationship with you in order to receive those blessings. You ask us to turn from sin, to walk in your ways, and to pursue righteousness. And so I ask God that you would help us to revere you, to revere your ways, to reference your ways, and to walk in them. And that we would experience relationship with you, rest, and peace, that you would give us life. God, we want to specifically pray for a few people in our church family this week. There's many that we could pray for, but we want to specifically pray for Ryan, Vanny, for Sonia, um, for the kids, for their extended family. What a, what a beautiful family. And yet we know the struggle uh, with Ryan's health right now and that uh, he is in uh, need of your comfort, your grace, God, this whole family. And we ask that you would uh, bring your loving arms around them, minister to them uh, in this journey of battling uh, cancer. God, let your presence be known in their midst. And God, we also pray for Helen Friesen who has been struggling in her health recently and we ask God that you will draw close to her that she will know your presence that she will hear your voice and sense your peace that you'd bring health and healing to her as well and lastly God I pray for the furthering of your your kingdom in Saskatoon 
that comes through us engaging with you, that you would open up our eyes to see those that are around us, our neighbors, our coworkers that are struggling or wrestling, that you would speak to us and prompt us, give us boldness to love them, to pray for them, to maybe have the opportunity to share about you with them. Give us uh, your eyes to see your grace, your love, and the boldness to proclaim. We pray this in your name. Amen. I hope that you enjoy the rest of our morning. Well, good morning and welcome here to Ebenezer. My name is Wes Hodgson, for those of you who maybe don't know me. And for the past roughly six months, I've had the privilege of serving here with my wife, Tamara, and our children. We have three of them. And we have been serving in the area of college and career ministries. And it's been just a real blessing and joy to be able to uh, serve this community and walk with this church. And so it gives me great joy to be able to be a part of this community. And it also gives me great joy to be able to share with you all this morning. Uh, for those of you who have been tracking with us throughout the summer, we have been going through a series called Summer Classics, where we've basically been revisiting some of these more well-known stories in the scriptures. And today we are going to be looking at the story of David and Goliath. And so for some of you uh, who, are, who are listening in this morning, this is going to be a very familiar story for you. Uh, but for those of you who are maybe not super familiar, uh, I hope that this will be a blessing and an encouragement to you as well. And whether you're familiar with the story of David and Goliath or not, you would at least be familiar, most likely, with the, the idea of David and Goliath in our our common vocabulary here. It's been popular, popularized in our collective language as a way of talking about the underdog or the long shot or the, you know, the, the seemingly helpless little guy who goes up against the big bad giant and defeats the big bad giant against impossible odds. This is the sort of pop culture way of understanding the story of David and Goliath. But as we look at this story again this morning, I hope that, God, that by God's grace, we'll be able to see that there is a lot more going on in this story than just a good underdog feel-good story. My hope and my prayer is that we can learn from the example of David and what he exemplifies to us, but that we can also see who he is ultimately pointing to in this story. And so if you have your Bibles, I want to encourage you to turn with me. Our story begins in the book of 1 Samuel, chapter 17. And at this point in the story of Israel, God's people have asked for a king. They want someone to rule them and lead them. And so the prophet Samuel has anointed King Saul to be the new king of Israel. And we pick up the story again in 1 Samuel, chapter 17. And as this is happening, King Saul is going out and leading the people of Israel against their sworn enemies, the Philistines. And so as we pick up the story here, we are introduced to uh, a champion. We are introduced to a, a war hero of the Philistines named Goliath. 
And it starts off in verse 4 of chapter 17. A champion named Goliath, who was from Gath, came out of the Philistine camp. His height was six cubits and a span. He had a bronze helmet and a head on his head and wore a coat of scale armor of bronze weighing 5,000 shekels. On his legs he wore bronze greaves and a bronze javelin was slung on his back. His spear shaft was like that of a weaver's rod and its iron point weighed 600 shekels and his shield bearer went ahead of him. Goliath stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, Why do you come out and line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine? Are you not servants of Saul? Choose a man and have him come down to me. If he is able to fight and kill me, we will become your servants. But if I overcome him and kill him, you will become our subjects and serve us. Then the Philistine said, This day I defy the armies of Israel. Give me a man and let us fight each other. And so here at this part of the story, we are introduced to the giant warrior Goliath. Based on our best estimations, we interpret six cubits and a span to mean roughly nine feet, nine inches tall, or around three meters. Uh, 5,000 shekels of bronze armor is about the equivalent of around 125 pounds or 58 kilograms. So needless to say, Goliath is massive. If you could only imagine someone over nearly 10 feet tall, this massive warrior with over 100 pounds of bronze uh, protective armor. He's got a huge javelin. He's got a sword. This guy is intense. And he begins picking a fight with the people of Israel. And you could only imagine what they might be feeling in that moment. And the text doesn't... Uh, it tells us what exactly what they're feeling. In verse 11, it says this, On hearing the Philistines' words, Saul and all the other Israelites were dismayed and terrified. I think that's a pretty good summary. <laughs> they were dismayed and they were terrified as they see this giant, as they see this huge man calling them out and picking a fight. They are scared. And if we were there, I would assume that we would be scared too. But as our story continues, Goliath is calling out the people of God, and he continues this, the story says, for over 40 days, and the people still remain afraid. And this is where David enters our story. David, at this point in his life, is still a young man. He's still just serving his father, tending the sheep on his dad's farm. And his father calls for him and asks David to go to the battlefield where his brothers are to bring them some food and to give them a report of how the battle is going. And so David follows his father's instructions. And he goes to the battle lines to see what is happening. And he sees how Goliath and the Philistines are mocking the, the armies of God. He sees how they're, they're just ridiculing the one true God, Yahweh. And David at this point, when he sees Goliath, when he sees this man who is mocking and just calling out God, essentially, he becomes provoked in his spirit and he needs to do something. He needs to respond. And so as we look at David's response throughout the rest of our time, there are three key things, three key elements of his response 
that gives us an example for us that I believe we need to internalize, we need to reflect on, and that we also need to apply when it comes to the battles that we face today. So let's look at this first one. We're going to continue on in our story looking at verses 32 through 37. David says this to Saul, Let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. But Saul replied, You are not able to go out against this Philistine and fight him. You are only a young man, and he has been a warrior from his youth. But David said to Saul, Your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it, struck it, and rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by its hair, struck it, and killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be one of them, or will be one like them, because he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of the Philistine. The first big idea that I want to communicate is this. Your private victories are what give you confidence for your public victories. David looks at this giant and while he sees a giant like everybody else, He has this incredible wealth of experience behind him where he's been out on his own tending his father's sheep. A lion has attacked the flock or a bear has attacked the flock and he's been able to defend himself and defend his flock. He has this wealth of courage stored up through his experience and he has has found God to be true in that secret place where no one was watching. Your private victories matter to God. David looked at that event in his life and he saw how how God was able to deliver him from this lion and deliver him from this bear. And he saw those experiences and he said, if God could do it then, he can do it for me again here and now. Your private victories matter to God. They might seem insignificant to you, But in that secret place where no one is watching, that's where you actually build a life of intimacy and a life of integrity before the Lord. It's in the secret place where no one is watching, where no one is paying attention, that you develop a character before God. 2 Chronicles 16.9 says, For the eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to Him. God is looking for people whom He can strengthen, whose hearts are fully given and devoted to Him. And the way that you cultivate a life of devotion to God is in the secret place where no one is watching and no one is paying attention. That's how you actually cultivate a life before God that he can use. Or consider what Jesus teaches in Matthew chapter 6 with his disciples. He's teaching them on the importance of spiritual disciplines like prayer and fasting and giving. And what he tells them is he gives them these specific instructions saying, you need to be careful to not do these in such a way to garner attention for yourself. 
He says this in Matthew chapter 6, verses 3 and 4. He says, But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. Or when you pray, this is verse 6 of Matthew chapter 6, but when you pray, Go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. The life you build with God when no one is watching, the obstacles that you overcome by God's grace and by His strength, when nobody's paying attention, these are the exact moments that God wants to use to build confidence, to build character within you so that when the moment calls for it, there's an entire reservoir of hope and confidence in the Lord that, that you can tap into in that time. Just think about the life of David for a moment one more time. In chapter 16 of 1 Samuel, right before this encounter with, with David and Goliath, David is actually anointed the next king of Israel. The story is all laid out in 1 Samuel chapter 16. So David knows that he's actually going to be the next king of Israel. But where do we find him in the story of 1 Samuel 17? He's still tending to his father's flock. Now, just imagine for a moment if David decided it to himself, man, I'm going to be the next king of Israel. What am I doing here still tending my father's flock? I'm beyond this. I've graduated from this. This is so, this is so below me. I'm about to be the next king. Could you imagine? Think for a moment. It was in the wilderness when he was watching over these sheep that he learned this intimate life with God. Just imagine for a moment if he would have ditched that season of his life. And he said, I'm beyond this. Maybe we don't have Psalm 23. Because it was in the wilderness where David was learning to be a shepherd, where he realized, oh, the Lord is my shepherd. He watches over and takes care of me. Maybe we don't have that Psalm if David decided, I don't need this season of my life. Or think about how it pertains to the story of David and Goliath. Think if he had just pawned off his responsibilities to some other servant and go, I'm beyond this. You go take care of the sheep. He encounters the lion and the bear and he succeeds. He prevails in those situations and it instills in him this deep level of confidence and trust in the Lord in that time. What if he had never had those encounters? Do we even have the story of David and Goliath if he just decided, no, nah, I don't want to do that anymore. I'm beyond this. You see, it was in the secret place. It was in the place where no one was paying attention that God was actually molding his character and giving him these opportunities and circumstances to prepare him for what was next. Your private victories matter before God. They what, it's what gives you the confidence before your public victories. And so let's, let's keep going in our story. That was the first thing that I wanted to, to talk about. We're going to continue on in the story, verses 38 and 39. It says this in verse 38, Then Saul dressed David in his own tunic. 
He put a coat of armor on him and a bronze helmet on his head. David fastened on his sword over the tunic and tried walking around because he was not used to them. I cannot go in these, he said to Saul, because I am not used to them. So he took them off. The second idea is this that we learn from this story. We need to learn to let God be our defender. David gets equipped in Saul's armor, but none of it fits him. He has never worn it before. He's never used it before. He's completely unfamiliar with it. So he takes it off and he goes into this battle with no armor, seemingly defenseless. Now, if I were there and I were advising David, I might have offered a little bit more advice like, for goodness sakes, man, grab a shield or something. You're walking into a battle with a giant and you have no armor on. This is completely counterintuitive to how we think about things. This is just not the way we do it. We always think we need to be the ones to defend ourselves and protect ourselves. And yet we are told again and again in the scriptures that God desires to be our defender. He's the one who ultimately protects us. And where I see this playing out so many times in our lives is actually in our relationships. Many times because of past hurts, we enter into relationships with our defenses way up. And to a certain extent, that can be wise. But on the other side of that, if we don't learn to let our defenses down, if we don't learn to be vulnerable and allow God to protect us in those places, then we are actually going to miss out on what it means to love others well and what it means to be loved. We can't love well when our defenses are completely up. C.S. Lewis put it this way in his amazing book, The Four Loves, when he says this, To love at all is to be vulnerable. Love anything and your heart will be wrung and possibly break. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give it to no one, not even an animal. Wrap it carefully around with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in the casket or coffin of your selfishness. But in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, it will change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable. To love is to be vulnerable. Love requires the risk of you getting hurt. It just does. But like David, we still need to choose to not put the armor on. We still need to choose to say, I'm not going to go into these relationships with all my defenses up. I'm going to be willing to be vulnerable. I'm going to let God ultimately be my protector and my defender. We're going to continue on in our story and look at our third point. And we're looking at verses 40 through 50, if you want to continue following along. Verses 40 through 50. Then he took, this is David, then he took his staff in his hand, and he chose five smooth stones from the stream, 
He put them in the pouch of a shepherd's bag, and with his sling in his hand, he approached the Philistine. Meanwhile, the Philistine, with his shield bearer in front of him, kept coming closer to David. He looked David over and saw that he was a little more than a boy, glowing with health and handsome, and he despised him. He said to David, Am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. Come here, he said, and I'll give your flesh to the birds and the wild animals. And David said to the Philistine, You come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands, and I'll strike you down and cut off your head. This very day I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. All those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's, and He will give all of you into our hands. And as the Philistine moved closer to attack him, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet him. Reaching into his bag and taking out a stone, he slung it and struck the Philistine on the forehead. The stone sank into his forehead, and he fell face down on the ground. And so David triumphed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone. Without a sword in his hand, he struck down the Philistine and killed him. The final idea is this, is that we need to fight our battles with the ways of God. When Goliath puts out the challenge to the Israelites for someone to come and fight him, he does so with the assumption that they are going to be fighting a hand-to-hand combat match. This was actually somewhat common in ancient uh, war practices. Rather than having entire armies completely destroy one another, sometimes opposing armies would, they would say, you give us your best man, we'll give you our best man, they fight winner take all. And so this was a, somewhat of a common practice in the ancient world. And this is how Goliath thinks that the battle is going to go. And Goliath is nine feet, he's over nine feet tall, with over 125 pounds worth of armor, he's a skilled warrior. And so he, like, in that scenario, of course he's going to win. But what does David do? He grabs five stones and his sling, and he marches right towards him. Now, I always grew up hearing this story, and when I heard that how David killed Goliath with a stone and a sling, I kind of thought that it was one of those slingshots, you know, that you'd maybe get from like a Dollarama or a Walmart or something. One of those like toy slingshots that's maybe this big, and you pull it back, and you like, you put a few rocks in it, and maybe it launches it like four or five feet or something like that. That was kind of what I grew up envisioning in my head. But in reality, what David has is actually a very sophisticated weapon of battle for that time. The sling would have been a leather pouch, maybe so big, and you'd be able to fit quite a large rock in it. And it would have two leather, um, two leather handles that would come out from the end of it. And he'd be able to swing this thing above his head. 
And so imagine for a moment that you get a, you get a good sized rock inside of this leather pouch and he's now swinging this thing above his head and what, what he would do, what they, would, they were called slingers, they would, they would rotate it above their head and at one point they would let one of, the, one of the straps go, the rock or the projectile would go out of it. And what some historians estimate is that you could actually, if you were a skilled slinger, if you were good at what you did, it, when that thing was going over your head, they estimate that some of those rocks could be traveling anywhere from 60 miles an hour. Think about that for a moment. Think about a rock, you know, maybe the size of your fist in the hands of a skilled slinger and a rock is coming at you at 60 miles an hour. We're so quick to think of this story as, oh, cute little David with his, with his puny little, little, <laughs> little thing trying to go out and fight Goliath. No, David, David is coming to this battle with an incredible weapon in his hands. And Goliath is completely caught off guard by it. He is expecting a sword fight. He is expecting hand-to-hand -hand combat. And David rushes at him and hucks this stone at him and kills him on the spot. David shows up with the equivalent of kind of like a, a, an ancient handgun to a fist fight. This is what is happening in this story. And here's the point of all of this. David doesn't go into the battle fighting the ways of Goliath. He doesn't play Goliath's game. Paul tells us this in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 through 5. For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. You and I have been given weapons in the Spirit that are not of this world, but they are nonetheless weapons. And therefore, we don't fight our battles the exact same way that the world does. We don't play by Goliath's rules. Ephesians chapter 6 verses 11 and 12 say this, But put on the full armor of God, so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. One of the simplest and subtlest and most effective ways that Satan or that the demonic causes us to, to, to lose our way is that he makes us forget that we are in a spiritual battle and he makes us turn our focus into forming physical enemies, making flesh and blood enemies out of what's actually a spiritual battle that is happening. Our enemy is not flesh and blood. Our enemy is not other people, other groups, other communities. It is principalities and powers in the spiritual realms that have set themselves up against the knowledge and will and order of God. That is who our enemy is.
even with people whom you firmly disagree with or oppose, they are not your enemy. That community is not your enemy. Your enemy is the spirit, the principalities and powers behind the scenes that are trying to convince you that those people are the problem and to get you to direct your anger and your frustration and your disappointment towards flesh and blood rather than fighting the battles in the spirit, praying and interceding and coming before God in a spiritual posture. And we see this around us all the time today. We see it in our marriages and in our families, where rather than owning our mistakes and our failures, asking for forgiveness, we blame other people. We turn, a pro- we turn a spiritual problem and we pin it on somebody else. We see this happening all the way back to Genesis 3 between Adam and Eve. We see this in our politics where it's no longer about discussing and trying to discern how these policies affect real people, but it's about a kind of identity allegiance where it doesn't matter if the idea is good or not. It's about what side of the aisle is it coming from. And we see this as well in the COVID pandemic, right? Regardless of where you sit on the issues, anti-mask, pro-mask, pro-vaccine, anti-vaccine, it doesn't really matter. The enemy's strategy is always to divide us, to turn a spiritual battle that we need to be fighting in the posture of prayer and on our knees and turn it into a physical one where we pick our side, we baptize our perspective as the right one, and we demonize everybody else. Flesh and blood is not our enemy. Our enemy is the spiritual forces at work that seek to divide us. This is what is happening. Look at this prayer with me for a moment in John chapter 17, verses 20 through 21. Jesus says this as he's praying for his disciples. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that they all may be one, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us, so that the world may believe you have sent me. This is the prayer Jesus prays for us, that we as believers would be so unified, just in the same way that the Father and the Son are unified, that in that place of deep love and unity, we rightly display Jesus to the world. You don't think for a moment that the devil wants to disrupt that? You don't think that Satan wants to try and destroy that kind of unity? Of course he does. That's one of his main strategies is to divide and to get us to be at war with one another because when we're not unified, when we're not loving one another, we wrongly display Christ to the people around us. He wants us to villainize and to demonize one another and create bitterness and hostility and enemies against each other. He wants us to fight Goliath in a fist fight. And my friends, we are not going to win that battle. But we have been given weapons of the Spirit. 
We have been given the Spirit of God to intercede, to come before the living God of the universe and to pray for His will to be done, for His kingdom to come on earth as it is in heaven. We have been given the sword of the Spirit, which, which is the Word of God, that is going to help us discern what is true and what is lies in a confusing world. We have not been left empty-handed. We are not David with a, a silly little toy thinking we're going up against Goliath. No, we have been given incredible weapons in the spirit to battle the real spiritual enemies in our time. David doesn't fight the battle Goliath's way. He fights it in the opposite way, in the ways of God. And that is why he prevailed. Now, in closing... I said at the beginning of the, the message that there is a lot we can learn from the life and the example of David in this encounter with Goliath. And I believe that. But one of the sad ironies of this story is that in particular, sometimes we read it not realizing who we actually are in the story. It's easy in a classic feel-good underdog story where the little guy beats the big guy. It's easy to put yourself in the place of the hero. It's easy for us to think, oh yeah, I'm totally like David. But if we read the story that way, we actually miss the entire point. We are not David in this story. Are there things that we should learn from, from his example? Absolutely, we need to. But don't miss the point. We are not David in this story. If anything, if anyone in this story, we are more like the scared Israelites on the sidelines waiting for a rescuer. That's who we are in this story. And what God is doing in the story of David and Goliath is he's not just delivering Israel from the hand of the Philistines, their enemies at the time, he is foreshadowing the one who would come and who would defeat the ultimate giant of death and hand us a victory we could never earn, namely eternal life. The most important part of the story of David and Goliath isn't even David himself. It's who David points to in the person and work of Jesus. In killing the lion and the bear in the wilderness, David foreshadows one who would come, who would also overcome temptation and overcome a, a, a battle in the wilderness and prevail, just like Jesus did when he was tempted. In being vulnerable, in refusing to put on the armor, David points to one who as well would choose not to defend himself who would instead choose to be mocked and to be shamed and ultimately crucified, and yet he still entrusted himself to God. And in defeating the giant with a stone and a sling, David shows us the one who would also defeat a giant, but not in the way that we expected. Not in conquering death in some epic battle, but when Jesus goes on the cross, he descends all the way into death, to defeat death from the inside out. David and Goliath isn't just a feel-good underdog story. It's a foretelling of the gospel. It's the good news that though we face a giant, there is one who comes, 
who rescues us, who fights the giant on our behalf and prevails and hands us a victory we could have never earned on our own. So let us learn from David's example. Your private victories, they matter to God. Let God be your defender and let's fight our battles in the ways of God. Yes, let us learn from David's example. But let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the true David, the one who ultimately rescues us and saves us and redeems us. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for the story of David and Goliath. God, we thank you for the example that David shows to us and how we can learn from his life and his example. But I thank you ultimately, Lord, that David in this encounter is not just doing something in that moment, but he is, he is telling us of one who is to come. And Lord Jesus, we know and we understand and we trust that that is you. And so, Jesus, help us to fix our eyes upon you. You are the one who rescues us. You are the one who slays the giants before us. We are not the hero of the story, Lord Jesus. You are. And we gladly and joyfully submit ourselves to you. You're our hero. You're our champion. You're our victorious one. We love you and we praise you. And we thank you for who you are. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. No
Well, thank you for listening. Don't forget to check out our church website at ebenezerbaptist.ca. If you enjoyed the podcast, you can let us know by clicking like and by subscribing to our podcast channel. God bless you and thanks for listening.